2: It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you are On
3: Giants.com. You
2: know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. 17-14 is the final. One touchdown, we are world champions. Believe it, and it will happen. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have
4: some fun. Welcome to Monday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com as well as the mobile app. He is Jeff Fegels. I'm Lance Meadow with you for the next 60 Minutes as we're here to break down all that is happening with the New York Giants in multiple ways. If you'd interact with us here on the program, you give us a ring, 201-939-4513. Can't get to the phones, hashtag GiantsChat on Twitter. You could also interact with both of us on our own Twitter handles. And as a reminder, you can find the archive of this show and our entire podcast network on the Giants mobile app, podcast platforms everywhere, and at Giants.com slash podcast. Hope everybody had an enjoyable weekend as it continues here into Monday with the national holiday. But Jeff, we yeah. really took a deep dive late last week into the NFC East. We laid out all four teams. We talked about key additions, key losses. So right at the tail end of that program, I want to give you full credit. You tease the idea of maybe doing something <laughs> similar with the Giants coaching staff. So that's going to be the main theme of today's show and certainly an opportunity for our listeners to weigh in. We're going to look at the coaching staff through a variety of lenses, the most valuable addition or somebody that could have the biggest impact on the roster, the most overlooked coach, somebody that is maybe not talked about enough. And then even going back and looking at Joe Judge's staff, somebody that they lost, not that they're not replaceable, but who, when we look back, actually did have an impact on the overall roster or a certain facet of the team. So there's a lot of different ways to look at things, and we're certainly going to go across the landscape with respect to that. And, Jeff, let's start with, I think, who we think perhaps could be a key addition to the staff, somebody that could certainly make a significant impact. And we could go in a variety of different directions for this one. I'm going to start – I mean, I think a lot should be placed – at the hands of Mike Kafka, because I think he's got mm. quite the task here, right? He's the offensive coordinator. You've got new pieces coming in. You have old pieces returning from injury. Daniel Jones, once again, learning a completely new scheme. Mm-hmm. This is a make or break season. It goes without saying for Daniel Jones, but for an offense, Jeff, that averaged about 17 and a half points per game, each Ooh. of the last two seasons <laughs> or around that he, he, wants to come in and he wants to show that this offense could take a jump, at least from a statistical standpoint, so that this team could be competitive game in and game out.
3: Yeah, I I think that uh, you hit on every one of those. I think that it is important. I think the big thing here to me, and um, I'm going to give you another name, but I think I could certainly, this is a name that I, you know, you, I could go with, but um, in terms of Daniel Jones, I, I think that Mike Kafka probably is the most important guy on the staff in, as far as Daniel Jones goes because they are going to spend the most time together. He's the offensive coordinator. Mike Kafka is an ex-NFL quarterback, and so I feel like if you have anybody – in the building that can relate to what he's going through and be the offensive coordinator, to me, that's very, very important. As we've talked before, we all know how important the, the quarterback position is in the National Football League, and when you have somebody that's coaching you that's played the position, it's, it means more. And I've said this many times before. In the 22 years I played in the league, there, there none of my coaches ever played the position of punter, kicker, or long snapper. So these guys always just they kind of had an idea of how to coach the position, which is fine and dandy. It's it's okay. I think they there's very, very good ones. But I, I feel like being a player lends itself to knowing a little bit more about pressure, knowing a little bit about more on-field things that happen. So Mike Kafka could certainly be that guy. Um, when And I'm going to stick with the coaching staff because I think that – The way that I wanted to phrase this is that this has my number one, my number one person that has been brought in this this year um, that I feel is the most important to everything is is Joe Shane. And I I think that I'll get into that later. But as far as the coaching staff goes, I'm actually going to stick with Brian Dable because I feel like he's, he's going to have a huge impact on that offense. Now, we know Mike Kafka. We don't know who's going to be calling the plays yet, and they're not going to know. Remember when, when Pat Shermer never let us know either until up to the last second? Um, I think that's something that I don't know what's going to happen there, but collectively between Mike Kafka and Brian Dable, they're going to come up with an offense that's going to be pretty pretty amazing. But I feel like the task at hand for Brian Dable, putting this organization and this team back into respectability, it means a lot more to me than Mike Kafka. And it's not like I said before, I prefaced it. Mike Kafka is a perfect choice. I'm just going to go with Brian Dable. No, and that makes sense. Listen, Dable's the head coach. I was looking at it more for somebody outside of the head coach, but I don't oh, think well, if, well, there's if you're no going to go that. Yeah, if you're going to go that, then I'm probably going to go with you because of the things that I said. And you know what? The other person I probably would say that would be the most would probably be the other offensive, or defensive coordinator. That would be Wink because I feel like there's a guy, and this will kind of segue into our next positional thing when we talked about, you know, the other side when the you know, staff left. We can kind of, I'll tell you a little bit more why I think that way. Sure.
4: Well, no, and not to say that Dable is not a good candidate. Listen, if he's the head coach and also based on what he did with Buffalo, Mm -hmm. and he's going to have a key role within the offense, whether he calls plays or not, Jeff, to your point, he and Kafka, the combination of both are going to help orchestrate this offense. Mm -hmm. So it goes without saying Dable's going to have to put his stamp on this. But I thought what you brought up about Kafka, the fact that he played the position and Mm -hmm. also – Andy Reid even spoke about this a lot during the course of Kafka being on the coaching staff. Kafka was sort of the guy that helped develop and bring along Patrick Mahomes. Mm-hmm. In addition to, of course, they had Eric Enemy and Andy Reid, all these guys on the offensive side of the ball, Alex Smith even, when they overlapped for sure. a year. So many people are responsible for developing Patrick Mahomes. But in recent history, Kafka has been pointed to as a— valuable commodity on that staff because not only was the QB coach, of course, but he also played the position. And that was what you got into. Not Mm -hmm. to say that somebody that doesn't play the position can't relate to the guys, but I think it, it maybe sells a little bit stronger when you're hearing it from somebody that has run an offense has been on an NFL field, understands the challenges, not just what happens during a game, But Jeff, the preparation and the ins and outs of what you go through during the week, I think there certainly is a good relatable area there between Kafka and Daniel Jones.
3: Absolutely. And I think that, you know, a lot of people don't understand how much communication actually goes along with the quarterback coach, the offensive coordinator, the head coach. And in this case, Brian Dable is both, right? So he's going to a little bit of both, but Mike Kafka is going to be with Daniel Jones a lot. And I think that, you know, I know this happened with Eli a lot, where in his career, he would be in the meeting rooms. They were going over game planning for the week. Um, And then at the end of the week on Fridays or even Saturdays in that team meeting, uh, the night before the game, they go over the first 15 plays. A lot of teams do this. Some of them don't. But and this is where the quarterback has a lot of input into how practice went during that week so you know they give you on wednesday you get the game plan and monday and tuesday is when the team is putting together the game plan the coaches are there for a long time putting these things together so when the players walk into the facility on wednesday morning the first thing that goes on is a special teams meeting and then that's that's a that's again that's where the special teams guys are given their game plan for the week this is what we're going to do on the big four i call it right and so they'll go through that then there's a team meeting um and that's usually to to start off the week you know who we're playing all the stuff this, that and this and then it's offense and defense and they break down and they install that's when they give them the, the game plans that game plan is made up by the offensive coordinator defensive coordinator whatever it is and then as the week goes long there's plays in there that may be really good and there be, be, might be plays that are really bad Lance and so the quarterback sure. is the one that's going to sit there and say okay the first 15 what do you got coach well here they are well you know what I, I, I do not like this play. I just don't feel comfortable throwing it. I don't feel comfortable running it, and boom, it's out. Because the last thing you want to do with any player is put him in a situation where you don't feel comfortable. And I feel like there's a lot of coaches down the line that they just didn't care about that. They said, run the plays. That's what we're going to do. And, you know, you don't have any confidence in that. So this is where that relationship, Mike Kafka, understanding the position, understanding being an offensive coordinator along with Brian Dable and having that communication level with, with Daniel Jones and for, for, for the most part, any quarterback that's going to play that game. But Daniel Jones could be on the sideline the second game because something happened. Then, you know, Tyrod Taylor is going to have to step into that position. It goes deep into the roster with
4: respect to Way Kafka's deep. connection. Yeah, it's not just Daniel Jones. We're just highlighting Daniel Jones because he's the starter. But to right. your point, Tyrod Taylor can relate to what Kafka has been through. And even some of the guys on the roster who have some quarterback background. Remember, there's a few skill position players mm-hmm. like Haderius Tony, for example, right? Yeah. I mean, he's had the ability to be a quarterback going back to his high school days. So you know Kafka can not just necessarily relate to, I think, the quarterbacks alone on an island. I think there's a number of players that understand what he brings to the table. So Kafka tops my list in terms of the framework of most valuable or potential biggest impact for this year. Mm -hmm. I think that's how we're going to fall with respect to that label. Now, if we go to an underrated coach, somebody that's not getting a lot of buzz, not getting a lot of hype, but based on his positional group or his side of the ball, could very well make a significant impact. I will allow you perhaps to take the <laughs> floor first And I take, I take a bow. One. Thank
3: you so much. Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I, and again, we don't know a lot of these coaches um, just because they're all new, um, but we do, if you went back and looked at some of, The coaches and on the staff and go back and look at their history i came up with one here that i feel is a guy that is very well known around the league people know who he is and players know who he is and he has coached um some really really good players in up in minnesota and that's going to be the defensive line coach andre patterson i like it uh he is a guy that's like i said is very well respected um defensive line coaches just like coach spencer last year was very well respected coming out of the college ranks you know they don't get much you know just it's it's a, it's it's the trenches you know they're just get in there um, tackle take up space rush the quarterback that's that's there's nothing sexy about that position other than if you're a defensive end which by the way kind of goes with the linebackers coach more than uh, the defensive line coach cuz the defensive line coach is really you know he's the guy that's the big guys in the middle in the front but you know it just depends Collectively, I think the edge rushers are defensive line, but they are kind of like linebackers. So, but I think that Andre Patterson can bring a, a wealth of knowledge to a lot of young guys, and of course, you got you know um, some older guys in there too, and some guys that have come from other teams that know of this coach. So you're not going to hear a lot about Andre Patterson, but I feel like he's going to get his crew, his crew or his his guys to play very well, and I think he's he's probably a very underrated coach in this league. There's a lot of a lot of newer coaches on this team coaching that haven't been in the game a long time he's been in there a long, a long time been with the vikings i think they started in 2014 um and then he i think he had a, a quick out and then back came back but i think the 2021 he was there for a while
0: your credit card should match your lifestyle at Kemba financial credit union choose a card with benefits that work for you for a limited time all cards have two percent cash back on purchases and zero percent interest on balance transfers for a year apply at Kemba.org. restrictions apply offer ends june 30th 2024
4: Sure. No, I think that's a good one. I actually, I was going to go in the same direction of your thinking, just the opposite side of the ball. Somebody also that brings a wealth of experience to the offense, who's been with a variety of teams, been in the league, but not necessarily somebody that has a lot of buzz, and that's Mike Groh. Because look at how many, Jeff, I don't know, maybe you were thinking I was going to go in a different direction. I thought you were going to go with Bobby Johnson. Oh, okay. Well, I, you know, I feel like the offensive line, Coach, no disrespect to Bobby Johnson, but I feel like that's the easy out, right? Everybody's looking <laughs> at that position. Yeah. We've been talking about that position for years. I wanted to think a little bit outside the box. Okay. Okay. And I think Bobby actually has gotten a lot of buzz. Don't you feel like this offseason? He's talked to the media. People are hyped about Evan Neal. Yeah, Yeah. so I think actually he's got his due. I'm looking for somebody that's been behind the curtain a little. And Patterson, I think, fits that bill. So Mike Groh, who's the new wide receivers coach, Mm -hmm. he was with the Indianapolis Colts for each of the last two years. That offense... Did a really nice job with Frank Reich and Nick Sirianni, who then became the Eagles head coach with the development of the offensive line, Jonathan Taylor. And they don't have a lot of big names receivers. That's another reason why I thought Gro was appealing. Outside mm. of Michael Pittman Jr., Jeff, mm-hmm. who clearly was a recent draft pick and I think has made quite the impact, there's a lot of question marks even coming into this season. Who else is going to emerge from Matt Ryan? Will Paris Campbell return to full health? So what they were able to get out of that group, and I think Mike Rowe also helped coach up the tight ends a little too, so I think he deserves credit. Mo Ali cox for example, was somebody that was a basketball player that emerged into a notable tight end. I think he actually did some nice work with Indianapolis, and then he was also the Eagles offensive coordinator in 2018 and 19. Under Doug Peterson. Mm-hmm. And where does Doug Peterson come from? Peterson comes from Andy Reid, mm-hmm. who was in Kansas City. So you see, you have sort of that connection to the Mike Kafka offensive philosophy. That's why Grow, I think, gets very much overlooked when you more and more examine his connections mm-hmm. around the league and also some of the underrated receivers that
3: I think he's worked with, at least in recent history. Well, the, the one thing that I like about Mike Gro is he's been a coordinator. Sure. And so there's your there's an extra coordinator on your on your roster here and your coaching staff that can help Mike Kafka. And of course, Brian Dable. Those are three offensive coordinators right there. I mean, it's probably, I go down the list, there's probably some of the guys that may have been somewhere in college or something like that. But these are these are three NFL caliber. Well, Mike, Gro- Mike Kafka hasn't been an offensive coordinator yet, but he's you know he is now, I guess. But from an experience standpoint, you definitely have Brian Dable and Mike Rowe. The thing about Mike Rowe is that, and, and I think it's a great choice, and what I like about it is that there is that connection with Mike Kafka, like you said, in that in that Chiefs offense, and by the way, Mike Rowe he coaches the receivers, and so the receivers are a huge part of that offense. Absolutely. And so in the way the way that they personnel uh, packages, moving them around, shifting, and and putting guys in different matchups against their the other team, I think that is kind of it's, that's kind of I like that a lot. So those guys can communicate a little bit together because they come from that Andy Reid system. Well, and here's another thing you actually just got me thinking about, Jeff. Interesting. The more and more you
4: take into consideration that he has been an offensive coordinator, so he understands what it means to put the scheme together. But remember, Doug Peterson called plays, Jeff, Mm -hmm. in Philadelphia. Now, I'm not trying to take anything away from Mike Groh, but Mike Groh was in a similar position, potentially, to Mike Kafka. And we don't know who's going to call plays, but let's say Brian Dabo calls plays. Let's... Go with that hypothetical for the time being. Grow is somebody that can relate to what Kafka then may be thrown into, where you're putting the scheme together, Mm -hmm. you're orchestrating the offense, but on game day, the head coach is actually calling plays. Or maybe the thinking too from Brian Dable is, I don't want to call plays. I want to focus on being a head coach. Okay, so who better to assist my Kafka then, than Mike Grow, who saw what Doug Peterson did and also has previously had the title of offensive coordinator. The point is you have a very experienced positional coach that could be the complementary piece to your first time play caller slash OC. And maybe you feel comfortable not having to oversee the offense so that you can maybe focus on
3: all areas of the game during the course of a contest. Great point. And it, it, it all kind of just comes together when you think about it. I think that, and, and really when, you know, there's so many different systems around the NFL and different, how they call plays and this and that. When you have these guys that have been around very similar types of offenses, it's going to be very easy for them to communicate and understand how things then. And I think it's a great comparison when you talk about Doug Peterson calling football plays and, and you got to, you know, maybe Brian Dable does the same thing. And Mike Kafka, I'm just repeating what you're saying, because I I think it's, I think it's a great point is that they will understand. And and Mike Gro can say to Mike Kafka, Hey, listen. This is what I was doing, you know, back in, a few years ago with uh, with Peterson. So I think it's it helps tremendously, and I think it's a great choice, Mike Rowe. So we
4: talked about most valuable addition or coach that could have the biggest impact. We threw out Mike Kafka. Jeff mentioned obviously Brian Dable, the head coach, and slash Wink Martindale on the defensive side of the ball. Underrated guys. Andre Patterson, the defensive line coach, Mike Groh, the wide receivers coach. I want to throw another one under the same label, and I know we don't have a lot to choose from. I know from, who you're going. But I think it falls for another good conversation. The critical coach they retained mm-hmm. from the previous staff. There's two guys that we could talk about. And I think both make a very strong case. Thomas McGahee, special teams coordinator. But Jerome Henderson, yep, I feel, gets lost head. in yeah. this conversation, Jeff, who's the DB's coach. And I want to start with Henderson because – Once again, I think it goes without saying McGahee, the fact that he's lasted on multiple staffs just goes to show you who he is as a person and the value he has. I mean, you really don't need to break him down further. If there are different head coaches saying, hey, you know what? I want to make sure McGahee's part of my staff. That's all you need to know. That's why I want to focus more on Henderson. And here's why I think Henderson's not talked about enough. I understand he has connections to Brian Dable going back to their time on the Jets staff. Okay, so there was the connection, but... What's one of the youngest positions on this roster, Jeff, Mm -hmm. that we talked about? It's the secondary, right? You have a bunch of guys that were drafted between 2000 and 2022. And Henderson saw the development and was responsible for helping a lot of those guys mature and grow. So who better then to help guide the continuation in a new scheme than Henderson? It's... No different than when we talk about Daniel Jones, and we say that he's had a variety of OCs, positional coaches, and when you make the changes, that could stunt the development or impact the development of a quarterback. I'm never for the revolving door. Hey, it's happened with the Giants because obviously there's been a revolving door at head coach, and that's a product of what happens when you change the coach. But the fact that Henderson, even though he's got to implement a new scheme with Wink, but he knows X-Man. He knows a lot of the m- – meaning Xavier McKinney. I know X-Man <laughs> gets thrown around, so I need to specify. The other recent drafted cornerbacks that he saw up close at personal, I just think it's a very nice piece of the pie here that they don't have to get used to another positional coach mm-hmm. as they're digesting this new strategy.
3: Yeah, and you know what? Uh, again, here goes the thing that we talked about with Mike Kafka. Jerome Henderson played in the league from 1991 sure. to 1998 as a coach. Um, or excuse me, as a player. So again, there's that there's that similarity in the sense that he's been in he's been on the field. He's been in big games. He's played the position. So as far as you know, relating to what these guys are going through and some of the questions that come up, um, when you play a position and coach it. There's a lot more that you can give to those players and they can understand. And also when you're listening to those guys, you kind of, you know what they're talking about because sometimes these are things that come up in games where somebody had never played the position may not have an idea of what they're talking about. So I think that's a big situation. And, and unfortunately, actually there are a lot of ex players in the national football league. In fact, a majority of these guys all played positions, you know, in the coaches, but some, a lot of them didn't. So, I'm just telling you, it it does make a huge difference. It would make, like, for instance, if I was coaching the position with uh, the punting position, just think about how much I could come, I could bring to the table to the punter, Jamie Gillen, the, the new guy. Basically, he's young, but be able to teach him because he's going to ask me questions that I can answer. Where he's going to ask maybe Thomas McGahey or Anthony Blevins, who's their their assistant guy. They're not going to know really what to say about that. They're going to maybe ask somebody else to answer it for him. You know,
4: because that's a real specialization. that Exactly. You're
3: talking about. Yeah, and it's almost and it's a very individual position, if yep. you will. So. There's a lot of things that go into that position that, and by the way, over time, Thomas McGahee and Tom Quinn, those guys kind of develop a sense of the position because they're with those guys so much and they're watching film and they're listening and they're taking notes and they're understanding what these guys are talking about along the line. So it is, for them, they can understand the language, but a lot of times it's hard to teach it because you've just never been there.
4: You know, interestingly, and I think this topic maybe came up in passing, Jeff, but maybe you could shed more light on it. Mm -hmm. When you do look at, offensive coordinators or defensive coordinators, they have a number of individuals under them to coach each position. Why haven't we gotten it to the point where there's a punter coach or a kicker <laughs> co- coach, something to that degree, under the
3: special teams
4: coordinator, just yeah. to assist from yeah. that standpoint?
3: Well, I, I don't think – there are a few in the league. Um, I know some some guys that are on staff. I think one of them is in, in Baltimore. Um, and then the other one, I think, is in Tennessee – Um, that they actually have like a kicking coach on staff? Interesting. I did not realize that. Yep. And um, I just feel like it's – and remember, there's no salary cap. There's not a number of – Well, that's why I'm saying there's nothing preventing you
4: from adding – you could add 50 more guys
3: onto the staff if you want. Yeah, 100%. And I feel like like they could always – like, for instance, the Giants do. If I go and look at this roster, the Giants have – and they always have had two two special teams coaches, right? So they've got a they've got an assistant and they've got a regular guy, right? So um, Anthony Correct. Blevins, they got Anthony Blevins. Yep. Yeah. And by the way, he he was the assistant to Tom Quinn um, before um, Thomas McGee got here. And then when Thomas McGahee, when Tom Quinn got fired um, and he got sick, then Tom Quinn remember he came back and helped out with that. And yep. then Anthony Blevins actually was retained on. Joe Judge's staff, but actually was played if he was coaching a different position. I think it was defensive backs. along with yep. um, Jerome Henderson. So, um, but I feel like, you know, with those two guys there, and then there's also there's also Nick Williams, yep, who's a special teams quality control coach. That to me could be a kicking coach right there if you needed that that kind of help. You know what I'm saying? So, um they've got Well, three... but I
4: guess what I'm getting at, Jeff, I mean to cut you off, is somebody that actually previously played the position. Mm-hmm to be a true assistant on staff to help the coordinators. Nothing against Blevins and Nick Williams, but they clearly were not kickers or punters Mm -hmm. during their days,
3: at least not that I'm aware of, unless (laughs) they did it very early in their careers at some point. Yeah. Well, I think that, you know, there's, we've, Trust me. Could I coach special teams? I probably, I probably could come pretty close. I mean, especially when you're in the building as much as those guys are, and learning, you know, the, the core four positions or four teams that you do. It's, it's all pretty basic stuff. It's just scheming and getting your players and, and doing things like that. So I think that you know one of those kicking guys could at least assist in some of the special team stuff. But I will tell you that there's, there's plenty of time that. You could be on the field and watching film with these guys to, to improve on their techniques and mental game and, and all kinds of stuff. So I, I've, I've never really understood why there hasn't been a guy that's been on every coaching staff like that. But evidently, they don't they don't think it's that. I mean, some teams do, but oh well.
4: Well, it depends on whether or not they value it, to your yeah, point. And exactly. here's the other thing. Yeah.
3: Harbaugh, you brought up the
4: Ravens. What was his background? His background was special teams. Oh, yeah. So yeah. it's understandable, right? Why he's prioritizing that. And I'm bringing up the Ravens staff, interestingly, since you mentioned them. So Chris Horden is their special teams coordinator. And then they actually, under him, they have two special teams coaches. Not quality Mm. control coach. They've got Randy Brown and TJ Wiest. And Randy Brown has been coaching for 18 years in this league.
3: Well, Randy Brown was originally, he was the kicking coach. That's That's who I'm talking about. So they must have then upgraded his title, my guess is, then over time. Yep, yep. So he's been there for a long time, um, and he was coaching the kickers and the punters. And I'm looking at his resume. He was actually in Philadelphia,
4: which is no surprise because that's where Harbaugh came from, and he was the one that coached David Akers in Philadelphia, Mm -hmm. according to his resume, when he earned a Pro Bowl nod. And then since then, he's been with Justin Tucker, and it's no coincidence that Tucker's been – the best kicker in the National Football right, League. Right. So clearly they there's a reason why Baltimore has done yeah. well in that department. Sure, and then they, they invest Sam, in the
3: coaches as much as the players. And Sam Cook, he just retired this year. That's I think right, he the was punter. there for 14 years as a punter and one, you know, so you know, that that in itself tells you how important they valued it. Well, there was no turnstile of kickers or punters down there in Baltimore. They they pretty much stayed there for a long 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 time. It's always interesting as a means of comparison what other teams
4: do as we move forward here on Giants.com, Big Blue Kickoff Live. So we're really putting the coaching staff under the microscope today, looking at the most valuable addition, the most underrated addition, and also the most underrated coach that actually was retained. And we were talking about Jerome Henderson a little bit more because Thomas McGahee has meant so much to this organization, given the fact that he's been on multiple coaching staffs. And, Jeff, the fact that, the numbers speak for themselves. Special teams has made significant strides sure. with McGahee here too.
3: Yeah. Yeah, last three years they've been they've been pretty good. And I think that, you know, Graham Cano is a part of that. I think yep. that when your kicker can do the things that he does and then also you know, they've lacked in the punting position a little bit, um, just because I think that, you know, not to say that Riley Dixon was not a good punter. He was, but he just couldn't. He couldn't execute some of the things that they wanted him to do. And I think that that takes away from some of the coverage. And it can. But I mean, as far as special teams, is a tough, tough thing to do, because as a coach, because you're, you're, you're you have to, you're dealt the hand that you get, right? So on game day, there's healthy scratches. There's a, a defensive back or wide receiver that you're counting on playing in special teams, and all of a sudden on game day he's, he's out. And so now you're like, oh, my God. So that guy got all the reps all week, and then now i got to change. If I take this guy to play this position, there's a trickle-down effect. So I'm going to have to take another guy from another position, and you got to move it all around. Then all of a sudden you get, it, you get injuries during the game. Right? Um, where a guy is, you know, a backup linebacker who's your core special teams guy is now inserted into the starting position as a linebacker. You've got to take him off of special teams, and now your third person is now in there. And so yep. you don't have a third person. There isn't a third deep on the special teams roster. So now you're gonna rob Peter to pay Paul. I gotta take this guy. So that's what's so difficult about special teams, is this it's a plug and play. You gotta it's it's constantly changing week to week, day to day, and you know on game day you never know what's going to happen and and by the way i know that there's a lot of times that the head coach comes to the special teams coordinator and says hey you know can you do without this guy today i know you don't want to want to but we, here's what we're set, we're up against this might be more important that we have our edge rusher in the game rather than have this wide receiver. Who's like the sixth guy on the roster, you know? So there's a lot of things that are talked about and the special teams coordinator, he gets the brunt of it. Oh my God, what's going on? Okay. So first of all, this guy got inactivated. I didn't know about it. And then this guy right here pulls his hamstring and ups, and now he's out. Now what do I do? You know, so it's just it's a crazy thing for him. A lot of movable parts. There's a lot of movable parts. And it just, just it, every team goes through it. It's not just Thomas McGahey and the Giants. It's every special teams coordinator has that dilemma during the week and practices and, you know, and things like that. But he in particular has had to deal
4: with a lot of injuries over the last oh few years. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And that has made his job even more challenging when you're losing the return guys left and right and then. Rookies all of a sudden play a more significant role on defense to linebackers. Think about all those yeah. guys like a Carter Coughlin. Yeah. and All of a sudden, now they get more snaps. You can't utilize them as much on special teams. It's just a revolving door, which is not fun. That's yeah. why my favorite line is Thomas McKay, he always uses the term gumbo. Making the gumbo, right? Yeah. That, that's his favorite term. Yeah. He says, "Hey, this week we got to make a new gumbo, but you know what? Maybe the ingredients <laughs> are going to be different." All right, that, it is what right. it is.
3: And he's yeah. from the South, so he likes that go. gumbo. So, uh he does yeah, but that—that that is a—that's a, that's a good term because that's what it is. It's gumbo. It really is. Hey, we got no shrimp this week. We're going to have to hey, substitute it with something else. But we're, go. it's going to taste good. There's not going to be any shrimp in here, though. <laughs> Correct. And you will eat it, and you will like it. You're going to have to eat it, and you're going <laughs> to have to like yes. it. So.
4: Lance Meadow, Jeff Fiegel's with you here on Monday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. A few reminders before we open up the phone lines here. Giant season tickets are on sale now for the 2022 season. In addition to ticket savings, membership benefits include access to exclusive events, experiences, pre-sales, and more. You can lock in your seat starting at just $100. Call 888-NYG-1925 or you can visit Giants.com slash tickets for more information. Also... Don't miss your chance to experience a premier hospitality experience watching Giants games and world-class concerts in 2022 as a Giants suite partner. Limited full-season locations are available, or you can place a deposit for individual games. For this one, call also 888-NYG-1925. Different website, though, Giants.com slash suites for more information. 201-939-4513. That is the telephone number. Let's open up the lines. Cliff is in New York, and he checks in with us here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's happening, Cliff?
5: Hello, guys. Thanks for all the uh, information about the coaches. That that was really very helpful. Uh, I I hadn't thought about Coach Henderson. I I had thought about uh, Coach McGahee, But in terms of importance of the coaches, uh, I would put Coach Henderson and Coach Patterson right up there because I was most concerned about Wink Martindale. Because in terms of coaches lost, you know, my understanding was is that the first choice was to keep Patrick Graham. And if we were going to lose him and we were going to bring in Coach Martindale uh, and, and he was going to have this attacking defense, which occasionally, as a result of that, would be understood to give up a long one. That really bothered me. That sounded very un But I'll take it. I understand things are changing. So if that's going to be the case, then having this coach that's already familiar with these DBs who the spotlight is going to be on these young guys who are supposed to make up for for the loss of Bradbury, uh, uh, that's going to be huge. And, uh, and it's easy to forget the D-line. I've been confused about the D-line all along uh, with the new regime because I'm waiting to hear who they are. You know, I mean, I know we have two important holdovers and a big free agent in the middle, and then we got a, and a, and a signing on the outside who's really a linebacker who's 300 pounds. And, and a couple of free agents, so I'm really not sure what that means. But if we can get some pressure from the first level and have some reliable DBs, that's going to make Coach mm-hmm. Martindale's risk, you know, a lot a lot lower. And uh, and I was a big fan of the specials last year with McGahee, and I was delighted that they brought him back because I thought we were really getting somewhere mm-hmm. on specials.
3: Well, yeah. yeah, go ahead, Jeff. No, I'm just saying, to your point, I, I, I just think that, like Jerome Henderson, him just, you know, understanding... Uh, the position as a player, and when you get these young guys coming through here, it just goes to show you his importance because he's able to. I mean, he did such a good job with this with this position because it's always been young. You know, obviously Bradbury was a veteran, Adoree Jackson is a veteran, but you know, from there on, it's just like it's just it's it's kind of been very, 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 very youthful, if you will. And then the depth behind that isn't is is not long in the tooth either. I mean, you got these guys are just so. I think that he, he he My hat's off to him for what he's been able to do, um, and being able to be retained by the Giants is a good thing for them because he's a good coach. And you know, and there's so many of these guys that are in the league that there are great coaches, but I've been around enough of them to know that there's there's a lot of not so good coaches either. Just because you played the game doesn't mean you're going to be a good coach, um, and because you know. A lot of times and I know this is, may sound very harsh on some things but remember I played in this in the NFL for a long time I had a lot of coaches that I saw come and go. But there are reasons why some players left the league. Well there's also some reasons why coaches don't coach long. You know so it's a lot of times is their dedication, their work ethic, their knowledge, you know all this comes into effect. So not everybody just because you play the game thinks that you can come in and coach and be a good one because there's a lot of guys that do that but they they don't make it. And as far as Jerome Henderson, here's
4: who he has a connection to on the roster. He's been with Aaron Robinson. He's been with Julian Love. He's been with Xavier McKinney, Adoree Jackson, Darnay Holmes. He's been with Jaron Williams and Radarius Williams. So mm -hmm. that's seven players in the secondary. Now, there's some new faces, but to have seven guys that you're familiar with, and here's the other thing, Jeff, if you're now employing a new scheme with Wink Martindale, who better than to talk to if you're worried about being too over aggressive or using a secondary player in this role, then Jerome Henderson. Because Henderson can then tell you, you know what, Wink, I just, I don't think that guy's good for that role. I would maybe wait till the middle of the season. Let's give him some additional reps. Or, hey, we did something similar last year in Patrick Graham's scheme. I think he'd be perfect for this spot. It's another voice that you can turn to mm-hmm.
3: to give you some feedback considering you were not on staff last year. Well, you have some advanced scouting. I mean yep. this is that's that's it. You got a new system, new coach, a new offense defensive coordinator, excuse me. But you got a guy here that's been scouting and been working with all of these players, seven of them. There's probably going to be 10 that are kept on the roster. So I mean, you got, you know, you almost got 70% of your guys that you've already coached and know. And that's a good thing to have. I think they're You know, 10. He,
5: uh, there's going to be so much excitement on offense and defense that, uh, that you guys have been prepping us for. Uh, yeah, I'm still interested in winning, <laughs> and <laughs> and I I think that's where Coach Dable is going to come in. Um, you know, w- with all the talk, which I which I like. You know, look as a fan, when we were winning, when when we were winning those Super Bowls, uh, you know, there were other teams that were much flashier than us on offense and and much more high flying. And I used to think, gee. Maybe we can get some of those guys someday and have a team like that. And until we got Victor Cruz and Hakeem Nix, it was like we never really had that. And uh, But it, it seemed like when we would long for those high-flying teams, it would be like, yeah, but if you really want to win, you've got you to be really good in the trenches and emphasize that and make sure you're taking care of the ball and don't take risks and all that kind of stuff. So that's going to be really a test for me as a fan this year. Because uh, I'm, I'm look, looking to the, at Dable, he seems to me to be an old school guy. You know, he, he strikes me that way. He doesn't seem like somebody who's getting carried away as creative and as innovative as he is. He, I think, he's got his feet on the ground with a, as a football coach. And and um, and I, I think uh, that that's going to be critical. I'm counting on him to 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 to, to keep that focus. I know it's going to going to help us uh, overall with with the fan base to have a lot more excitement, but when it comes to winning, uh, 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 that's what I'm really concerned about, and I also like that Joe Shane uh, has an athletic background, even if he threw ducks in practice, (laughs) as as Dable pointed out, they they got where they were supposed to, and I I like that, that was one of the first things we heard about him when he was introduced, he was like a three-sport guy, I think, and and I like that, but... um, I don't know. I, I um, you know, traditionally they would tell us that we we won under Parcells and Coughlin because we took care of fundamentals and we were less concerned with being entertaining and, and all that stuff. And it seems like uh, things have changed, especially the athleticism on defense that you have to go against. And um, so, uh, well, Cliff, I'm, I mean, okay. I think when it comes to the
4: NFL, and listen,
5: we appreciate yeah. your phone call. We'll let you go on that Thanks, note.
4: No. I don't think there's one rule of thumb, Jeff, in terms of what it takes to win. I I think that Brian Dable, I would not simply classify him as old school. He's been in the NFL for a good 20 years, Mm -hmm. so he certainly has seen this league evolve. He was first with the Patriots going back to 2000, but they were doing innovative stuff in Buffalo. And he was the offensive coordinator there with what they were running with Josh Allen. So yeah. I think he has changed and adapted. And remember, he right. went to Alabama in 2017, so he got a glimpse of where the college game has gone. He's really a mix of old and new. And then Kafka is also, I think, a byproduct of both. Because Kafka played in the NFL about a decade ago. And then he went to Northwestern briefly, as alma mater where he was a grad assistant, and then Andy Reid brought him on staff, and we know Andy Reid, obviously, is an extremely creative coach. So I think you're getting a blending of both, a little old school, a little new school, but the reason why I said there's not one rule of thumb, if you look at the two teams that made the Super Bowl, Jeff, this Mm -hmm. past season, Mm -hmm. you look at the Rams, you look at the Bengals. Sean McVay, he comes from that new school of thought, that creativeness, but at the same time, if you look at what they're working with on the defensive side of the ball and on the offensive line, You know, they've prioritized those positions, whether it be Andrew Whitworth, the veteran offensive lineman, Aaron Donald, okay, Leonard Floyd. Those guys know how to get after the quarterback and even some of the other big bruisers on the opposite side of the line for the Rams. It wasn't as if they just said, well, we're going to have a flimsy bunch of guys in the middle and we're just going to hope that Matthew Stafford and all of these skill position players can come to the rescue. The Bengals, though. They did not have a very strong offensive line, but I would disagree with those who say the defense was actually extremely strong, especially up front. When you look at Hendrickson, when you look at D.J. Reeder, I mean, those two guys specifically were critical to what they did in the trenches, and Joe Burrow's decision-making and some of the flashiness – of their wide receivers, and Joe Mixon, I think, helped overcome what they were lacking on the offensive line. But the bottom line is you had a mix. Both of those teams, I wouldn't describe them as being cut from the same cloth. I think they had a mixture of a little new
3: school and a little old school. Yeah, I think you got to have new school. I mean, that's just the way it is. And I think that, you know, if you've been in the league for 20 years, you've seen it evolve like like Coach Dable has done. And so I think that he's going to continue to do that because this league has become a passing league. And, I mean, you know, the old school, I guess, cliche is, you know, you got double tight ends, a fullback, a, a tailback, and, you know, you run the football and you got two receivers. You know, that's about it. So, or one receiver, I don't know. But, yeah. you know, that's there's no longer old school football anymore. Old school football comes in the final four minutes of a game when you're winning, when you line up and you're going to run the football that takes the clock down and make first down that's about as old school as you're going to get and paul latino is as old school as i guess he's (laughs) he's continuously trying to make this game what it's not by saying that oh i want the i want the hand in the ground tight end Well, you don't need a hand-in-the-ground tight end anymore. You just have a reserve offensive lineman that does that for a living, put his hand in the ground, call him a tight end, and put the tight end out there who's more athletic than any of these guys, half of them. They're all basketball players. They can slam-dunk 360s. They're so athletic, they don't need their hand in the dirt, you know, at least most of the time. And so – yeah, where is this league going? It's progressive. It is. It is new school, and all these guys collectively have to put that kind of a mindset into it. Because if you don't, you're going to get passed over by the next person. That's just that's where you're at. And there's still a place for that old school philosophy. To your point, Jeff, where
4: you yeah. put your hand in the dirt and you block because you know we've seen teams like the San Francisco Forty ers for example, a few mm-hmm. years ago they had Jimmy Garoppolo healthy the year they went to the Super Bowl. They lost to Kansas City. Uh, They were running over opponents. There was actually drives where Jimmy Garoppolo wouldn't even throw the ball. All they were doing was running the ball. So I don't want to make it sound like and I don't think you were selling this either. There is a place for that in the game. There has to be. But what we're saying is mixture is what I think thrives and is the best philosophy because eventually – you're going to go up against a very good defensive front that is going to be able to take away the run and is going to get the better of your offensive line. So what are you going to do? you Are going to continue to run into a brick wall, Jeff? No. You have to then adjust. You have to get the passing game involved. You have to use the fullbacks out of the backfield and the tight ends, as you mentioned. So that's what I think Dable and Kafka have been exposed to. I think it's going to
3: be a blending. It's going to be a mixture of both mm-hmm. of those concepts. Well, I think that any any – offense in the national football league if you can establish your run game it's obviously sets up your passing game because of play action so you know i don't care who you are um the idea of some you know disguise and that's the play action is that play action freezes people because you don't know if it's a run or a pass so you have to kind of and that's where the quarterback and the you know the the receivers and the running backs going out for passes this and that that's where you get the other defense, you can catch them off guard, and that's where you can make some big plays. But the the play action doesn't work unless you run the football, because then everybody's like, play action, whatever they want to do, they can't run anyway, so they're not going to fake me on a on a play action because they they not they're not going to respect gonna, that part of it. They're not game. going to. So, but if you have effective running game, then that sets up hugely for your passing game. But you can't have one without the other. So, I think that that's where. When you look at Mike Kafka and you look at Brian Dable, you look at the, what they did with the offensive line this year. Everybody wants to think about how they improved the offensive line just for Daniel Jones. That's not that's not correct. You you improve the offensive line so that you can do what we're talking about, so that you can run the football when you get into the red zone, the close red, you you know inside the ten yard lines. You have to be able to run the football down there, and so that's where you need good offensive linemen. You know, you call, it the, you call them those road graders, whatever you want to call them. They've got to be able to block and run for you. Look at the Colts. I mean, those guys, they, I mean, they have a great running game. The best running game in the, in the NFL, uh, their quarterback can just sit back and just play action and throw the receivers all day. Um, and then you look at some other teams that can't run the football, the defense will they'll just eat you alive.
4: That's why you need to be strong up front because then it gives you the flexibility right. to either pound the football on the ground or buy your quarterback some time to survey the field. Let's head back to the phone lines. John is in Cape Cod joining us here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's happening, John? Hi, John. Good
2: morning. Good afternoon, guys. How are you? Hey. You? Good morning. Uh, great, great, discu- great discussion. I just want to say... Great defenses win Super Bowls, Mm -hmm. even with all the offense in the league. But I want to provide a little different perspective, jump back to Wink Martindale. Uh, Now that I'm on Cape Cod, I'm in Patriot land, you know. so I got to see the growth of the Patriots into a dynasty through Parcells and then Belichick, which means I get to see a lot of the Ravens. And I can tell you, when Martindale was with the Ravens, there was no team in the AFC that gave Patriot good Patriot teams more problems than the Ravens did. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how much, I imagine he's going to get a lot of input into drafting, but he's had a knack with picking up players that become impact players. In some cases, uh, Belichick keeps an eye on them and then grabs them, like Matthew Judon, who's probably the biggest impact player on the Patriot line these days. So I'm looking for great things from this coach to win games. Good point. That's all. <laughs> Thank Good you. Good
3: point. Yeah. I well, appreciate the phone call, John. And listen, these these coaches they love familiarity, right? They like the, they like coaches, the players that have been around their system, so that there's there's no learning curve there. And we've talked about this before, Lance. When at all levels, we talked about it, where Wink has brought in players at every level of that defense, and because he's done that they're able to teach at the at every level with those guys that are there so and he also knows he's going to get production out of those guys at every level too so that's important and familiarity like you know listen if you had a I'll, I'll relate this if you if you it's a housing thing so you're you're moving and you've got a great gardener the guy does a beautiful job on your lawn and your yard and stuff and now you're moving you're what you what are you going to do you're going to the next the next yard or the next house you buy you're probably going to say, hey, I want this guy to do my yard because he does. It. he's familiar with it. What I like, you know, when we do this and that. Same thing. If this guy's available and I move to another team, I'm bringing him with me as long as, the, you know, Joe Shane and his staff and people will let me do it and it's affordable. So that's kind of what happens, you know. So I think the guys that he brought over here, are they perennial all pros? No, they can't afford those guys. But they have familiarity with his system and that's, that. that counts for something. So that's why they do it. There's no doubt about it. I just the only thing I was gonna mention,
4: you know, based on the last caller's point is he did though when he became the defensive coordinator, he had a nice nucleus to work with. All <laughs> right. The Ravens, they've drafted <laughs> yeah. well over they time. They always have. Right. Yeah. You look at Ozzie Newsom was their yep. longtime GM. Eric DaCosta took over. Harbaugh's been there forever. Yep. You know, they have a stable organization, a good group of scouts, they pinpoint really good players. I thought they had an excellent draft again this year. And they've lost some coaches. So, I mean, that speaks volumes. I think that's a product of the organization. As far as Martindale's defense giving the Patriots some trouble, yes, once again, I think that's because he's had a lot of good playmakers. And then, remember, Brian Dable even mentioned this. When he hired Wink, he said, when I was with the Bills, one of the toughest defenses we went up against, Jeff, was Baltimore. And Mm -hmm. we talked about this, too. When Shermer came aboard, the rationale as to why he hired James Betcher was he had mentioned When I was with Philadelphia and other stops, when I went up against Betcher's defenses in Arizona, I felt those units gave me trouble. So I don't think that's anything different than other coaches thinking. If you know there's a guy that's been a thorn in your side, right, and now you are a head man and you have an opportunity to take him off the market, just like you use the Gardner parallel, it's no different. Hey, come aboard, help my defense,
3: and then I don't have to worry about
4: game planning against you for the few times that maybe (laughs) I may have to see you over the
3: next few years. Yeah, and I'm sure that he's got, you know, he understands a little bit more about the offenses that they're going to play because he's gone up against those, you know, even though. So, yeah, it it all makes sense. It's just a matter of availability. Can you grab these guys and and bring them in? And, you know, sometimes in the world of coaching, those guys, if you ever look at at their – Resumes, boy, these guys are all over the place. Man, do they have a lot of coaching experience for different teams? Oh yeah, holy smokes! Well, I mean, I mean
4: Wink has been all over. Wink started. He's got a big background at the college level before he even came to the NFL.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's bottom line, it's football, right? It's 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 played on the same size field. Uh, the hashes are a little different, but you know, and back in the day, the goalposts were a little bit different. But <laughs> for the most part, yeah. it's still the same. It's, it's, a, it's a it's a leather football. So you got four downs. You know, it's still it's all the same. It's just that the talent gets a little bit better. So uh, I'm actually again, I keep saying this, but I'm optimistically cautious as far as the season's coming up. But I'm excited about kind of understanding how these offense and this defense is going to work, you know, whether it's going to be. And I'll tell you this, I, I was a little bit fooled. Uh, when Joe Judge got here coming from Belichick, I thought this team was going to be one of those teams that are one of the one of the least penalized teams in the league as far as discipline goes and this and that, and that didn't happen. Um, so I'm going to be very careful in what I say about the offense and the defense this year <laughs> going into it. But I do know that it's going to be exciting because I, I know that. By the way, that the, these, these two offensive guys, Dable and Kafka, where they came from, Those were two of the more exciting offenses to watch in the league. And then off defensively, look at Wink, same thing. I mean, a lot of fun to watch the defense for the Ravens play. They're just constant craziness. Um, And so I am excited about that, but I am also cautiously knowing that this team is still not built right yet. So in in order to execute some of these things, you don't just plug and play. You're going to have to bring the players in here that you think eventually are going to make those offense and defense work like they want to. Because what do we always say? You could take the coach
4: from a previous regime, and Mm -hmm. that's similar to what you were talking about with Joe Judge. Oh, yeah. You're not bringing Bill Belichick with you. No. You're not bringing the players that you had with you. So this is where we truly see the creativeness or the ability to adapt of a coach. There's nothing wrong with excitement, and Kansas City and Buffalo were very good. They were very dynamic. But Kafka doesn't have Patrick Mahomes. Brian Dable doesn't have Josh Allen, okay? It changes when you all of a sudden now move a different quarterback into the mix. So that's where we really start to see, I think, the true colors of a coach. On a related note, Jeff, before you respond, I just you were bringing up penalties. Not to say that, once again, they're bringing over the personnel. But just to give you an idea, and I don't know if you were going in this direction, Buffalo had the fifth most penalties mm-hmm. in the NFL last season. Mm-hmm. Kansas City was right behind them at number six. Now, mm. that encompasses the whole team. I just, just want to give you an idea. Yeah. And then Baltimore, once again, Wink was not the head coach. This is not just the defense. But if you're just looking for a means of comparison, the Ravens were a little bit down the line. They were pretty much middle of the pack, about 102 they had. Now, the Giants, remember, overall, they actually were respectable last year in total penalties. They actually finished the year with the fifth fewest. The problem is, what do I always tell you? The timing. The timing of the Giants' penalties were the worst possible area of the game. right? So that was what was the killer. That's why volume of penalties, to me, doesn't necessarily tell the whole story. It's more of did you actually watch the game and did you see when they came? Was the game on the line? Was it in a two-minute drill? Did they come in the red zone where all of a sudden you were knocking on the door for a touchdown, you settled for a field goal? It's more about
3: where and when as opposed to total penalties. Yeah, that's in, I, I tell you, you know, you could be the least penalized team in the league, but if they come at the most important <laughs> times, it doesn't matter, right? Exactly, I mean, right? I mean, just... What happens if all of your penalties come with two minutes left
4: in the game? So. <laughs>
3: <laughs> and lose you all the games because exactly. of it, right? Yeah. Oh, what a disciplined team they were. Yeah, well, they lost <laughs> six of their games because in the last two minutes they jumped off sides and roughed the quarterback, and, and yep. they had pass interference, and, you know, it doesn't matter. So, uh, but, but what I mean by discipline is I feel like, I, I, again, you're right. It's just a matter of how they happen more than the optics of it. Like, okay, well, it just seems to me that, that the Joe Judge team, that when we thought about it, was just it, it's just for some reason you would think it would have been a more disciplined team. But – You know, I don't know. It's just when the numbers, if you look at Brian Dable, I didn't watch the Bills enough to think if they were or were not a disciplined team, but the numbers speak for themselves. So um, and again, I think that's sometimes I think that the coaches, the way that they coach the game can be like the players, if they're if you have a, a very aggressive coach that wants you to do things aggressively, then sometimes those teams are a little bit more penalized, right? Because the coach is expecting you to make some big plays by yep. maybe giving up a little bit of a penalty here and there because, you know, I, I don't know, the, the referees sometimes catch them, sometimes they don't. But I think that a lot of times that's dictated on the aggressiveness or the passiveness of a coach. And I want you doing this, and I don't want you to do that. Oh, I want you to do this. I don't care if you hit the guy after the, after the throw. I mean – Those hits on the quarterback are cumulative. Before you know it, he's going to think you're coming all the time. He's going to throw his interception. So I'll take the personal foul once in a while. You know, that's That's a good point.
4: Well, and the other thing that's related to what you're talking about, Jeff, also keep in mind, if you're now starting to ask secondary players to be in spots that they're not familiar with or not used to or they weren't even asked to play out of those roles in college and you want them to blitz, you know, sometimes those guys, they're itchy. And it's a timing thing. You may have to account for they may go off sides here or there because, you know, they're a little bit jumpity by the line of scrimmage. You have to at least understand that those growing pains come with a new scheme. Mm -hmm. come with the territory, and I think that's at least what came to mind in terms of what you were talking about because I would wholeheartedly agree with you. The more aggressive the scheme, you're going to put players in positions where maybe they're a little bit unfamiliar with to start, and as a result, that comes with a little bit of undisciplined play until as the year progresses and as you get more and more reps through the preseason, the early stages of the season, right, they start to get more and more comfortable, they're familiar, and then they start to thrive because they're decision-making is much better as a result.
3: And, and a team that blitzes a lot, okay, that's a timing deal, right? So corner yep. blitzes, you know, zone blitzes, things like that. That's all about timing. Uh, quarterbacks can dictate that a lot if they're smart enough. Then they get up to the line of scrimmage and sometimes can identify that, that, that there is something fishy going on here. They can change the snap count and get guys to jump offside. So I think the Giants fans have to be a little bit – just be a little bit aware that if this is going to be that type of a defense where they're blitzing a lot, there's going to be some some of those offsides calls on the defense just because it's just just the way it is. However, you're, you're offsides on first and ten. Now it's first and five. Wink calls up another blitz on on first and five, and now they sack the quarterback for a fumble. Okay, I'm all right with that. I'm gonna <laughs> I'll take it. You know, so if there's there's some good and there's some bad to it, but I think that. I am going to be patient with it. That's what I said because I feel like this is something that's going to have to – and, again, offensively, it's the same way. Offensively, you're going to get some illegal formations because this team is going to shift all over the freaking place. All I mean, it is going to be – it's going to be guys running all over the place. And so until you have that maybe in the middle of the season where you've been doing it over and over and over and over, you're going to get one guy that isn't on the line of scrimmage. He's off the, he's off the ball illegal procedure got too many guys in the backfield this just happens and so that's what preseason is really supposed to be about but the problem is is in preseason there isn't enough starters at play that can get this stuff right and so then it goes into the beginning of the season where we always see on the defensive side the tackling is horrible and offensively there's too many penalties because they just don't have enough time to run all the plays and put things in especially a new team yeah so that's where you kind of get a little bit ugliness if you will at the beginning of the first quarter of the season
4: well, and that's why if we just you know, start to look ahead, and I know when you look at Patrick Graham's defenses, there were some years, and I would say maybe the common trend was slow starts and then better finishes, Jeff, right? Things yeah, maybe got yeah. a little bit more comfortable as the year progressed. I'm talking overall. Clearly, there were still areas of concern, but overall, I think the trend was they started off with their ups and downs, and then things got better. Could we be in store for another one of those seasons? Yeah, it wouldn't stun me, Jeff, especially since now it's a completely new scheme. You've got a young secondary. You've got players that weren't in Wink Martindale's scheme going back to Baltimore. It could be one of those seasons where they don't hit their stride until midway in the year. Don't be stunned if that happens. I mean, if they get off to a very strong start, you know, hey, you'll take that. You're certainly not going to complain. But based on the logistics, the layout of the land, the personnel, the coaching staff, it could be one of those situations where similar to Patrick Graham, it gets progressively better as they get
3: more and more games under their belt. Remember, the, the, the coaches are, they're just as new to the players as the players are to the coaches. So, these are, these are 90 guys on the roster, obviously 53. This is called 25 on each side of the ball. These coaches got to figure out and learn these players. So they're going to, I guess, go into it thinking one thing, where I, I guess maybe 75% of it's probably going to be correct, but the other 25% of it, they could be completely wrong. Like, I, I want to play this guy in a three technique on the defensive line, but you want to know something? I, I got to tell you, he's not very good at it. And I, I've only realized this through practices and training camp and some of the preseason games. We can't, we can't have him here. We've got to either move him outside or move him into the inside in a two-gap or something. I, and, that's how there's, and that's where it goes along with the lines of how this defense and offense are going to eventually evolve into what they want. But there, there's a process to it. You know, maybe there's a wide receiver who just cannot play the slot position. Maybe there's a, a, you know, a linebacker that just can't cover where we thought he was better coverage than he was and you can't have him in on a third down. I mean, we've got to get them out of there. So this is where, you know, I guess it's trial and error. Yeah, um, and that's I a good think term. that the most experienced teams, when you think about how they've gone and how successful they are, the core of their teams have been together. And and that's all a matter of, of the, the management, drafting well, keeping and retaining their players. The guys stick together and they're on the same team for a while. Because it's very hard to win at any level, whether it's basketball, baseball, whatever, when you constantly have turnover and new players. It's tough. It's really difficult. There's so many examples, and the changes come on offense,
4: the changes come on defense. You can pick whichever side of the ball you want. The teams that constantly make changes, they expect all of a sudden that at the blink of an eye the snap of a finger it's going to go in the opposite direction and then you see the same similar results because these guys i mean they're running around and they're getting comfortable but the comfort doesn't come until midway through the year every single time yeah. so when you change the coach you're going to the same old process all over again
3: because you have no foundation anymore well, to build on the That's other thing the, big the other problem. thing is 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 look at your roster Look at the average age of your roster and then look on offense and defense. And especially at some of the skill positions or even the position groups, look where the youth is. So this is such an elevated game between college and pros um, that, You know, there's a transition there for younger guys, and there's no substitute for experience. That's why you love veterans, because the veterans have been through it. They're not going to make the dumb mistakes that these rookies or even first or second year players make. It's just a matter of it's a long ways to learn the game of football at the NFL level because it's so complicated and the players are so good. And these coaches are good. They they teach techniques. they teach fundamentals, and they teach it in a way that they have to, so they can be better than the guy across from them. And so the learning curve as you go, put in with all the stuff that we're talking about right now, it makes you feel like, okay, now I, the way that we're talking right now, is, I don't even know if this team's going to be able to compete. <laughs> no, but I'm I'm just being I'm being I'm kidding. But sure, my point yeah. is is that there's going to be a lot of mistakes out there because of, of the newness of everything. And this is a very young football team. It's going to be doing is.
4: It's it's going to
3: continue to be that way, too, because this is a team that is like is going to evolve into Joe Shane and Brian Dable's team. They're going to make their own team. They just can't do it all at once. So it's going to be this year, next year, following year. And you're just going to see how things progressively get better and better. Now, some teams are better than others at the beginning. Some of them come out of here and all of a sudden you're like, you know, look at the look at the what the Bengals win the year before. Right. Bengals won four games. The year there you before. go. Yeah. So how did how in the god name can they go to the Super Bowl? Well, I'll well, tell you why. They get Joe Burrow back, Jeff. <laughs> they got Joe Burrow. They got a quarterback that's, that's one you. of the best in the league. Okay, but the but but seriously, when you look at like four to all of a sudden in the Super Bowl, it can happen, you know. But but again, you got some really good players around him too. So, um, and one of them being you know. The receiver, <laughs> that yeah. guy is amazing. So It helps slightly to have a good players around bit. the so, corner. Right? Yeah. I guess what I'm trying to say is patience, 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 and hopefully we, we, we get a flyer. Maybe they're better than a lot of us think they're going to be. Just a realistic conversation.
4: That's the gist yeah. of it. Just right. trying to look at the facts and the trends that we've seen in recent NFL mm-hmm. history. There's always exceptions to the rule, of course. but we never know when those exceptions are, of course, going to come to fruition. All right. That is going to do it for Monday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. Now, our office is going to be closed the next two days, Tuesday and Wednesday. So there is no program on Tuesday and Wednesday this week. We'll be back up and running on Thursday for a new edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live, same time at noon Eastern. So for those of you who are listening today or in the next few days, no show on the 21st and the 22nd, this Tuesday and Wednesday, we're back on Thursday the 23rd. And the other thing that I also wanted to emphasize, because I've been getting a lot of tweets, Jeff, I'm sure you have as well, Mm -hmm. the production team is still working on getting the updated shows up on Apple Podcasts and the other podcast platforms. I know a lot of you have been navigating it. And listen. We love the fact that you tune in religiously. We're well aware of it. I promise you, I've been nagging them on your behalf and they are working around the clock to try to get that squared away. Unfortunately, we can't give you a definitive timetable right now and I don't want to get anybody's hopes up but I promise you, they are working on it and we're hoping that all of the latest podcasts will be updated sooner rather than later. However, for those of you who rely on the podcast platforms, keep in mind, you can still go to Giants.com, the team website, all of the new episodes are up and you could also check him out on the mobile app so i know it's maybe an adjustment for some of you based on your listening tendencies but you could still access the new episodes on the team website as well as the mobile app i hope that at least addressed some of you who may be wondering what's going on from a technical standpoint all right Now that that is out of the way, we can close up shop. We appreciate everybody tuning in. Today's episode of Big Blue Kickoff Live. It's part of the Giants platforms everywhere and Giants.com slash podcast. For Jeff Eagles, I'm Lance Meadow. Stay locked to Giants.com for all the latest, and we will speak to you on Thursday right here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Have a good one.
1: You wouldn't expect to hear that we're America's third best city for beer like this one. Or home to vibes like this. And this.